0: hello everyone i'm alex and i am so glad you joined me for happy hour on this family tree podcast episode 181 it's an interesting week this week it'll be a solo by me alone shane is currently in a hospital having hernia surgery i'll get into that in a second first i just need to say if i sound weird if anything i'm drinking a coffee at the same time but I currently have my face frozen. I got my first round of micro-needling this morning at Durand Health, and they put on like a really thick layer of numbing cream before they do it, right? It's like like they were icing me like a cake. That's what you're supposed to do, whatever. Anyway, it has now been almost three hours since my appointment, and my face is still pretty swollen. Uh, not swollen, it's still pretty numb is what I meant to say. And so drinking, speaking, everything feels kind of odd, but that's all right, we're gonna power through. I wanna get this done um, before the kids get home because again, I am solo parenting this week. And yeah, Shane is at this hospital getting a hernia fixed. So he has an umbilical hernia. His guts are popping out through his belly button and he's gone to a hospital called Should Hospital to get this fixed. So what Schuldice is, it's a hospital that only specializes in hernias, all right? So it's like each surgeon there is, you know, doing 700 certain hernia repairs a year. It is bananas. It's wild. It's been around for ages. I think it was built after the war to attend to a lot of the people that had fought, a lot of the men that had fought coming back, fixing their hernias up. And they, like, develop this kind of brothership. It's got this, like, cult following now. Anyway, it looks like the mansion from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I'm not even kidding you, okay? You drive in this gorgeous driveway with willow trees hanging down. It's beautiful. It's picturesque. You go past these, you know, huge lawns and beautiful manicured gardens, everything. And then you get to this massive mansion, it's white, it's big, it looks like something that you'll find in, you know, Louisiana, something like that. And it's got those big pillars up at the front. So you walk in, everything's really grand. And then you go in and it's still a mansion, but it's got hospital vibes. So I dropped Shane there off the other day. And you know, he goes in, there's a bunch of other men in there waiting to get their rooms. And it's covered by our health care. This insanely gorgeous place. So it's covered by free healthcare in Ontario. However, that's just the surgery. The stay, they need you to cover or your insurance. So our insurance is covering it, which is great. Uh, But they need you to stay there for four nights. So that's how this place looks so beautiful. That's how they keep it manicured, whatever. But it's kind of nice because whereas You know, other hernia surgeries, you might go into a hospital, they'll put mesh in, and then you're out the same day or the very next day. This place doesn't use mesh. I don't know what all this means. Shane went down a lot of rabbit holes with it. And apparently, you just have uh, less risk for complications if you do not get mesh put in you. So that's why they keep you there for four days. So, you know, I feel bad for Shane that he had the hernia in the first place, that it bothered him so much, and then he has to spend four days in the hospital. But I mean, you all have heard me talk about this fantasy before. I have mentioned it more than once on this podcast. I've mentioned it on my Instagram account. I mentioned it to girlfriends. I've mentioned it to Shane. Ever since I had Lucy, I have been dreaming of a a hospital trip, like a hospital stay, but nothing too serious, just something maybe minor where they need to keep an eye on me for a few days And nothing that's going to have like long-term effects, but where I can just leave my home guilt-free, lay in a bed, watch movies, read books, have somebody else cook for me, and have somebody else kind of take care of me for a few nights. And that was in like a standard hospital, okay? I was fantasizing about a standard hospital where the food is still shit, where you're getting woken up at 7 a.m. to get your blood tested, where you probably have lots of roommates and they're, you know... Probably not enjoyable. I didn't even know a hospital like this existed. Shane is currently living my fantasy, you guys. And like, I'm sad that he has to get a hernia surgery, whatever. I don't want him to feel scared. I don't want him to feel, you know, be in pain, but I can't help but be jealous. And the reason I have a hospital fantasy instead of like a vacation fantasy is because with a hospital fantasy, first of all, it's free. In Canada. Secondly, you don't feel guilty, right? On a vacation, you're gonna feel guilty. I'm gonna want somebody to enjoy the experience with, so I won't wanna be alone. In a hospital, there's nothing to enjoy. So it's just solitude, guilt free solitude. And that's why I have that particular fantasy, and that is why I'm a little bit jealous that Shane's living it. Like last week, guys, he went out and got a Game Boy, like an old school vintage, I guess vintage now, but from when we were teenagers, Game Boy got a bunch of games, and he is so excited to just shack up in his bed and play Game Boy all day, get through some books. I think he has some work to do, things like that. But it's just, there's an odd piece to the hospital fantasy, okay? And I don't care if you think I'm crazy for fantasizing about that. I don't care if you think I'm crazy for being a little bit jealous of Shane about it. But that's that. There it is. And you know, amongst all this, it's the first week of school. So we're back to school. So I've got both kids. I'm solo parenting for four nights by myself. First week of school, first week of gymnastics, just lots going on. I have my plate full of work as well. So maybe it's a little bit of jealous and maybe a little bit of like resentment. Like I wish somebody was here with me, although I am really happy ultimately that he's getting it fixed. And that's what I want to end that on. But hey, if any of you have weird fantasies, like I think Shane mentioned he had a jail fantasy where he like gets picked up, but he's innocent and he has to spend a couple nights in there, just works out, goes to sleep, whatever. Similar to my hospital fantasy, but I would say significantly scarier. One thing that I keep thinking of, though, in regards to where Shane's staying, like folks, I will put it up in my stories again. I have already, but... I will show you what this hospital looks like again. It is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. So the grounds are beautiful. He has a semi-private room, but he doesn't even have a roommate at this point. So it's just him. They have like a chef there or chef-sa. And they cook nutritious, healthy, and delicious meals. Like Shayna said, everything's been great. They brought him like warm cookies at nighttime for a bedtime snack. It is bonkers, okay? And when you think about Who's getting hernias? Why did they build it? It was a bunch of men coming back from war, fighting, whatever. Yet this hospital still persists. It's still, and I'm so glad it's there. But hernias are primarily suffered by men. Anybody can get them, but primarily they're suffered by men. And then you think, okay, so a hernia, you know, they have this entirely secluded, private hospital that's still publicly funded, or semi-publicly funded. And where is the hospital that's like this for birthing mothers? (laughs) Why is it, and I mean, it's not shocking, that men get this absolutely gorgeous top-of-the-line care hospital for a hernia when I will pump out a baby, have it step through my gaping hole that they've left in my body, And then I'm, you know, I think of my first night with Lucy, we were put in a room without a roommate eventually. But my first night with her, it was us. And again, my body had just been exploded by a baby. And then it was another family in that same room, which was maybe, I don't know, 15 feet wide. And her body had just been exploded open by a baby. And it's, you know, two sets of parents with these tiny newborn babies trying to figure things out. And it's like when they're sleeping, we're crying. And when we're sleeping, they're crying. And it's horrific. And it's so hard. And we're separated by like the tiniest, thinnest curtain, where you could still basically see them across the room. Okay, so Now, the the resentment is welling up inside of me right now, and and I am grateful for Shane's gorgeous hospital, but I am resentful that it is obviously a hospital where essentially men are going to. And it's like you look at different aspects of maternal care, like my pelvic floor, excuse me, that baby pressed its head upon for nine months and then again demolished when it came out. My pelvic floor isn't even covered. Like, I'm not even asking for a beautiful hospital with private chefs here. I'm just asking for my pelvic floor therapy to be covered by the government so that I cannot piss my pants when I try to jump or when I go for a jog or when I sneeze. Like, how is that? If this was a men's issue, all of this, I am telling you, they would send us away for like two weeks. If it was men doing this, they would send us away for two weeks. We would be in like this You. Gorgeous yoga facility. What I don't know, I said yoga. This gorgeous facility, they'll offer yoga, Pilates, things to help strengthen your pelvic floor. All the doctors, all the machines, all the tools. And they would get you fixed because can you imagine a society in which men are crossing their legs and placing their hand by their crotch every time they sneeze in fear of a little leakage? It is bizarre. It is unfair. Things need to change. And obviously, this change starts with us talking about it, calling differences to it, and advocating for ourselves and for more. Like, geez louise, if we could give birth in hospitals like shouldice, private chefs, you know, cooking us up meals with nutrient-rich to replenish our bodies from everything that we've left over the last nine months and through, you know, the ordeal that birth can be, like, why, where the hell is that? And we in Canada have better healthcare than other you know, first world countries looking at you, United States of America. And this, that's what we have. I can't even imagine having to pay for all that going into debt just because you want to have a baby. It's bizarre. It's wild. And folks, whatever. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to let myself get over my jealousy and resentment and try to enjoy the time while he's gone. I got books. I got movies I wanna watch. I can't, I was gonna take like the most gorgeous bath tonight, but I can't because of microneedling. That's fine. But I've got things to do and I'm pretty excited about that. However, it is tough because as you all know, if you're solo parenting, bedtimes, like I have work to do after bedtimes, bedtime is draining. It is draining. And it just takes so long. I always expect it to be quick. I need to lower my expectations, manage them better. But it does get tough, especially coming off of summer where bedtimes were extended. You know, we we're outside every second of every day. It was amazing. Um, and coming back into routine with school and earlier bedtimes, it's a little tricky. So this week, I am really excited to bring on a friend and a child sleep expert Chelsea Dawson, and we are gonna talk everything about getting back into good school routines and how to make sure your kid is having a healthy sleep so that they're able to go and you know be productive and learn lots at school the next day. But before we get to my conversation with Chelsea, let me tell you who we're supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh, their premium organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto.
1: And it's stylish and oh my comfortable. God
0: like so soft so comfy and timeless and you're gonna the quality is so good you're gonna be passing them from kid to kid we already have and now the things that even betty doesn't fit we're giving our friends with babies
1: what i liked too was when they were littler Mm -hmm. it always annoyed me when something was like hard to get on and off yes it's very easy to get on and off and the kids want to wear it and it's comfortable for them getting the clothes on and off so i found it life when they were much younger
0: no absolutely and still is only because these things like lucy will get a dress and she'll wear it to bed but then she'll also wear it to a nice dinner with us they are very practical and what we love about them is that their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally in canada using gots certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes
1: locally in canada i like that
0: (laughs) it's local where's the place
1: canada oh that is local
0: they, they also now have a women's collection it's called the m and west collection folks i live in these clothes they're simple they're french terry ethically and sustainably produced like everything else at mini miyash and just they are the cutest looking sweats of all time
1: you're wearing them right now and back
0: certainly am and do i not look cute
1: alex i was lying and you've took, <laughs> you're a liar she'll go along with a lie
0: But they're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiash.com or at minimiash on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. It's available in Canada and the U.S. It is one use per customer. So load up the cart. And again, that is minimiash.com and thisfamilytree15. But we are also supported by... True Earth. And if you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I have been trying to reduce our environmental footprints.
1: Trying and succeeding.
0: It's true. And, you know, it seems like a daunting task sometimes to introduce sustainability into your life. Not for me. But you can do it by starting at such a small spot. Like the way we started, we chose one single-use plastic in our household and decided to replace that. So we tried and started with laundry detergent bottles. Big
1: old jugs. They're not even bottles. They're jugs.
0: And they don't get recycled like you think they do because less than 10% of what's actually thrown to the recycling bin is actually recycled.
1: I found out barely anything gets recycled. I used to th- think I was doing a good deed. Turns out I'm doing nothing.
0: Yeah. Best use is to just avoid things when you can. So we discovered, when we made the switch, True Earth Laundry Detergent. And this detergent comes in pre-measured soluble strips that you simply rip apart. They're and fun to put tear. put in your washer. They are.
1: Yeah, you tear them and put them in the washer is what you were saying.
0: It's so easy. And the best part is that there's no plastic. Because the packaging is so compact, it's drastically changed the tidiness of our laundry room, and there is not a jug to be seen. No comment. <laughs> uh, as family with kids who have super sensitive skin, we usually opt for the baby detergent. It's fragrance-free.
1: <sighs> oh, wait. If it's fragrance-free, why am I smelling? <laughs> it's, it's, it still smells Just fresh. Smells,
0: smells clean.
1: Yeah.
0: And gentle on everybody's skin, but it's still so tough on dirt. Our clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean. <laughs> So check out True Earth Detergent at True.Earth and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 to get 10% off your order. You're going to love this product. Take our word for it. Again, that is True.Earth and ThisFamilyTree10. And now let's get to our conversation with Chelsea Dawson. Hi, how's it going? Hey, how are you? I'm okay. now that your bedtime battle is over? No, 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 no. You would think it was over because we're sitting here about to record a podcast. I gave up and just needed her to shut up. So I put on a show, gave her my iPad, and she is sitting there watching that right now so I can get through this with you. Oh, my God. Shit, man. (sighs) Solo parenting. Cheers. 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 I like this. I I
1: this. I did a double bedtime duty, too. Sean was out for work. So I was like. (laughs)
0: it's see there's nothing harder and i'm doing four solo bedtimes alone this week because shane is getting surgery but every week i'm at least doing three three is the bare minimum that i'm doing myself that's the bare minimum that i'm single parenting and like coming off of covid when he was working from home then coming off of you know, when he only had to go in the office three days a week, or sorry, two days a week, that was manageable. Two days, I can handle. Three days, there's something about it that is just so frustrating. And Chelsea, I'm so happy that you are here with us at this family tree to talk about this tonight. So folks, Chelsea is a friend. She's an expert. She's super knowledgeable. Chelsea, you run Little Sleep Space. And if you can give us a bit of a background in your day job and your history with that. Cause I think it gives you um, just a different take on the sleep scene. And I think it's so important.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Thanks so much for having me, Alex. This is exciting. Yeah, it's a blast. Um, So fun. I feel like we're just sitting together uh, like we do with our kids. But, anyways, yes, I run Little Sleep Space. I'm a baby and toddler sleep consultant. But how I really ended up here um, with my third baby, I call it, is. You um, confused me for
0: a second. I was like, I thought you (laughs) only had two. Where have I been living? Oh my God.
1: No, no, you know that Sean had his little snip snip, so all is good. (laughs) Anyways, um, how I landed here was I have worked in like a child and youth, um, really behavior services for over 10 years now, and um, mostly in the autism field, autism and behavioral science. So I have a master's degree in in professional education, which is a specialization in applied behavior analysis, which is essentially the science of behavior change. So um, a lot of people think behavior is just kind of the bad behavior that we see, but behavior is anything measurable and observable. So us even talking right now, this is a behavior. So when we can look at sleep and sleep bedtime battles and all of that, um, those are observable and definitely um, measurable behaviors, right? How long does a bedtime battle last? all of that stuff. And um, when it comes to kind of day jobs, so I work for actually our children's hospital as a behavior therapist. And my role is fairly unique in that I consult into um, licensed daycares for kiddos that might have a behavior challenge or just struggling in their daycare environment. And so, yeah, and when I was on maternity leave with my daughter, I was kind of thinking, you know, I really love my job. I really love my job and the families that I serve and the connections and our community partners. But I also really love sleep and I really love how I was able to support both my kiddos sleep um, and really how that improved my quality of life and our family's quality of life. And both my babies refused bottles, so breastfeeding a baby, you know, I was trying to carve out some slivers of time for myself. Um, And so enter supporting them for sleep. And so when my daughter was three and a half months old, I started a a certification program, finished that in the winter, and then launched my business. And it's just been a blast supporting families, like all the time, um, and helping them reach their sleep goals and improving their quality of lives. Like, Families are just blown away how hands on and responsive sleep work can be, and how really um, impactful the change is. And, you know, the stories that families share with me is just incredible.
0: So, oh, I believe it. I mean, you think about the changes and what new parents experience. And I think that sleep, has got to be the most impactful factor or one of the most impactful factors because it affects so much and you don't realize how much sleep affects your mood, your physical well-being, your emotional well-being, your ability to be a good partner, a good person, a good worker, a good parent to feel like yourself until you're lacking in it in a way that is different from what you've experienced. Like when I was in my 20s, I wasn't sleeping because I was going out. I was in university. I was working at bars. So it's like I was going to bed at four o'clock every night, but yes. it felt different. It was yes. a choice. I would sleep in. I didn't have to care for another human being the next day. So then as a parent, I found it so jarring and listeners of the podcast know that I was not myself. I fell into postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety because I think, you know, it's hormonal, but also a lack of of sleep. And it really made me feel awful. And I was like wishing days away. And it made me so upset that I was wishing time away, but I couldn't help it. Anyway, fast forward, we sleep trained. It was great. And I thought I had sleep covered. I was like, oh, I got it. My kids are falling asleep. They were going to bed early. They were going to bed at like six o'clock every night. It was fucking beautiful. And now at five years old and three years old, we are in a new realm I do not have my hands on it like I thought I did. And I I know that it started, our serious sleep problem started when Shane went back to work three days a week and I was putting two kids down at the same time and just letting things slide, getting out of good habits. And now we're in like no man's land where I don't know what the hell is going to work and school's back. So bedtimes are earlier again and I need your help, and I know I'm not alone. I know so many people are going to need your help. So I want to get into how to make things work for the school year. Chelsea, let's start off with, like, when's the ideal time? We're long past it. School started. When's the ideal time to start prepping for new school routines? Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you're definitely not alone in the, the bedtime <laughs> battle. So. Um, but ideal time – likely would have been a week or two ago before school really started just because then you could really ease your way in kind of firm up the boundaries that maybe you have been you know pushed aside Mm -hmm. um, during the summer and things like that but it's really never too late to make a change in your child's sleep and it's um, taking into consideration like toddlers and preschool and school-age kiddos they have like a set thing that they want and they are so determined to get that. Right. And oh so God, yeah. it's not a, it is a test of willpower and patience and like, self-regulation for us as parents, as we navigate like a bedtime battle um, and how we can kind of co-regulate with our child through those difficult moments that you're likely facing and will face as you make changes. Right. Um, But for a family that is like, okay, so where do I even start? Right. Is that what you're thinking? Like, how do I even, what's my first step? Like
0: use, use my family, for example, right. It's like the week before school started, we're doing, I don't know, 8 30 bedtimes which for some families might not be late but for us that is that's late okay later yeah and uh you know that's like roasting marshmallows at eight getting some sugar in us and then everything just takes a long time whatever but they're sleeping in more and now it's like so hard to bring it back and there are other factors that we'll get into later down the road but we'll start there
1: yeah, so if your bedtime has really been shifted quite late for summertime, very normal, right? We're out doing all the things, having all the good times. What I would suggest is gradually shifting it back to your what we call desired bedtime. So rather than starting your bedtime routine, like at 8, for example, because you're aiming for an 8.30 bedtime, you know, start your routine at 7.45 and aim for an 8.15 bedtime. And gradually over two to three nights, you would shift things Continue to shift things backwards. So it's not a super abrupt change for your child, um, or for you for that matter, right? But gradually you're shifting things back until you're kind of at your desired bedtime. The other really important about important piece about bedtime, I should say, is establishing like a super solid bedtime routine. And oftentimes, you know, families are kind of having backyard barbecues, going out for ice cream, and bedtime routines get super rushed during the summer, right? And it's like, we skip the bath, but, you know, they swim in the pool. And now that it's back to school, your child is likely going to need a bit of a wind-down time because their day has been so stimulated and they have like so controlled through their day that we want to give them the opportunity to really unwind with you and um, enter into bedtime kind of calmly. So there's a few things that we can look at to kind of shape that a little bit further too.
0: And I have a question about that because you so casually said, you know, so if you're aiming for an 8.15 bedtime, you can start at 7.45 or if you are aiming for 8.30, start at 8. There's a world where What, the bedtime routine to sleep takes a half hour? That's new to me. (laughs) I didn't know this was possible. (laughs) Yes, possible, girl. Totally. So we started, like, tonight, Chelsea, we started at 7.51. Okay, listeners? So at 7.51, knowing that I had my interview with Chelsea tonight that I was really looking forward to, I started bedtime at um, 10 to 6. So it's now, you know, about Two hours? Two hours? Yeah. And uh, I think. And it's- she's still
1: on the same. <laughs> <soap. laughs> yeah. I think the other part is you were doing it solo, right? With both kiddos. So, mm-hmm. you know, give yourself a bit of grace there. It's not going to be perfect. But um, I mean, I'd have to, we'd have to dive deeper, like what is happening during bedtime routine, where are the stalls happening, right? What are they looking for? Um, and when we look at bedtime behavior, particularly in toddlers and preschoolers, we want to look at the why. Like, why are they stalling? What do they get from the stall? Um, and like what is the function of that? Uh, you know are they getting access to more time with mom are they getting access to a screen are they getting um you know an extra bedtime snack all of those things that you know if they they keep asking they keep getting and then it's like oh my god it's been an hour of having bedtime snack
0: okay so like (laughs) hypothetically if they're getting all of the things that you mentioned in abundance um hypothetically uh what let's just let's look at a simple structure of what a bedtime routine should look like for a school-aged kid, and this could be like J.K. school age or daycare or grade two, whatever. But let's look at the kid, the age that our oldest kids are, right? Yeah. So they're in so senior five. kindergarten. Yeah, they're five. I want to know ideal sleep time for that age group, and then what a bedtime routine should look like? Because hypothetically, our bedtime routine is um, a chaotic, disgusting mess.
1: I'm so glad we're doing this. (laughs) And I know we're going to have so many follow-up text messages afterwards. (laughs) Okay, so let's start kind of bedtime routine. What could this look like, right? So kiddos get home. What time does um, Lou get home from school?
0: Lucy gets home at about 10 after three, and then Betty gets home at about four.
1: Okay. So like dinner time is what, 5.30, 6-ish? Yeah, 5.30, 5, 5.30. yeah Okay, so let's say 5.30, right? So half hour dinner time, let's say. Maybe they get um, a little bit of playtime after that. And so what I would say is wherever the screen time is happening, ideally we want, you know, at least... 30, if not 60, 60 would be ideal um, minutes of no screen time before the bedtime needed to happen. And the reason for that is there's some research to say that the screens and blue lights actually inhibit some melatonin production, just like for adults, it's really not recommended that we squirrel, squirrel, mm-hmm. squirrel before bedtime. Same thing for our little ones. So first, I would shape that up, you could offer um, TV time before dinner time, right. And then after dinner, it's just like play quiet activities maybe they play a board game something like that Um, and then up to bath up to kind of go upstairs um, bath time some families want to do bedtime snack and maybe they do that after bath so it's like we have a bath we get into pajamas okay bedtime snack could happen so we go back downstairs um, and then come back upstairs do teeth brushing and then into their room to do whatever that looks like for a family Right. So some families do like affirmation statements. Usually there's books involved. Some families do like family prayer um, songs, you know, that kind of wind down time, about 15 to 20 minutes during that time. And that's variable based on a family, right? So, um, you know, some families are like, I only want to read one book and one song and then that's it, it's all good. Mm -hmm. Um, But really bedtime routine should be about half an hour in total ideal bedtime is about 630 to eight for these kiddos. Um, Understanding again, like every family has different nighttime routines. And when we look at even kids, their circadian rhythm might be programmed a little bit later. And so if your family doesn't usually go to bed until 830, then that's okay, right? For a listener that's listening, if you have a later bedtime and your child is sleeping well, and you know, healthy, otherwise, and all the things, don't feel like you need to change it. You know, this is more so a general guideline. If you're looking for, you know, ways to sh- change a little bit of sleep behavior is that would be a, a good sh- spot to land between 630
0: and 8 p.m. So that's that's super handy to know. And then knowing that. So you're including the bath in the bedtime routine, right? Mm-hmm. OK, yeah. see, I like that because things change, too. And I didn't really take that this into consideration until now. And I'm kind of thinking back on things, but When I just had Lucy, we always did bath upstairs in the upstairs bathroom, which is right beside her bedroom. So we'd go all snugly from the bath into bed and read books, whatever, and then she'd go to sleep. And that's when it was easy. But now we kind of do bath after dinner, don't call it bedtime routine, then maybe we play a little bit, then we go upstairs and then we start bedtime. And I don't know. I'm thinking Is it a struggle to get them back upstairs? No, they go upstairs pretty well, honestly. It's – what it is and what we deal with is them coming out of their rooms a million times. And, you know, they both stayed in their cribs for a long time. They like their cribs. But the second that they were out of the cribs, it was like constant coming downstairs. Oh, I need another hug. Oh, I need another stuffy. Oh, daddy, mommy, can you read me another book? I need a snack. So – The snacks were getting really out of hand. So two weeks ago, I said no more bedtime snacks. So we have to eat everything. Make sure your tummies are full at dinner. And if we need something else before we go upstairs, we'll have something. And that's actually had a great impact on their dinnertime habits because they've been eating way more off their plate. And they've been really vocal about telling me if they need more food because they know it's not happening. So that's been helpful. Mm-hmm. but um on nights when it's just me and like I can't even imagine you know if I'm single parenting three or four nights a week I can't even imagine people that are single parenting all, the, all time. the time oh my god oh my god and it's so there's no downtime for them
1: right there's just none none
0: it's so draining and it's such a reason to get on top of sleep if you can so it's like I really want to get on top of sleep because I'm, I'm doing that for at least half or more of the week. So it's like I started, you know, while I'm in with Betty, if I'm putting her down first, then I'll just I'll have Lucy watch something. Other, otherwise, she's coming into Betty's room constantly and waking her up and prolonging that. Or if I'm putting Lucy down first, Betty's doing the same thing. So then I started freaking giving them screens at bedtime, even though I knew it was bad, just because it was the only way. I could do it. It was the only way. And (laughs) now it's developed into this thing.
1: Yeah. and I have a suggestion for you.
0: Give it to me because I'm struggling with boundaries and with finding alternatives for a peaceful put-down.
1: Yes. Yeah. So definitely when we take something away like the screens, we want to replace it with something else, right? Um, Because otherwise they're going to be interrupting the uh, other child's bedtime. So you could get like a a basket of kind of bedtime goodies, we'll call it. And so it would just be very novel items. And they're going to be quiet items, you know, like poppers, like sand dials, like any kind of little toy, even just like little Barbie figurines, um, LOL dolls, whatever the girls are into, right? And it's put into a basket and it's only meant for bedtime. And this is where the boundary comes in, right? It's like this is your bedtime basket. And so when mommy is in Lucy's room, Betty, you get your bedtime basket. And then vice versa, right? If you were in Betty's room, Lucy, you get yours. And once bedtime routine is done, this is would be like the most important part is those baskets are removed from their space, because they should be under kind of your control, right? They get some input in terms of what goes into the basket. So they're motivated to like play and engage with them. But then you're in of it you are you are the mama and so it would occupy them it would break away from the screen
0: and it would keep them busy i love this so much and i love anything that is going to help a kid take initiative and take a little bit of uh responsibility for their own behavior in a way and like you know as an educator that's huge with a different age group but even with these ones give like Lucy, right, I recently got – this week I got this stupid thing from Amazon. It's like all these different sandwich cutters and like little goofy oh, yeah. animals that you stick in. She's going crazy for it, absolutely crazy crazy for it. So she is helping me. She's telling me exactly what she wants in her lunch. She's eating more of her lunch, and it's phenomenal. So I love the idea of a bedtime basket because it's like, all right, we can go to Toys R Us. We can go to the dollar store You Mm -hmm. guys can pick out, you know, a certain seven items for your bedtime basket, whatever. Yeah. And they're excited about those items. Yeah. And then if it's like from the dollar store, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem replacing those a couple times a year. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Because, you know, they're going to satiate on it over the Mm. course of like weeks or months. Right. Every kiddo has a different threshold with that. But um, the, the hope would be the novelty keeps them engaged. And then the other piece that you could include is kind of a reward for it. So, hey, Betty, I loved that you stayed in your room and you played with this basket while I did Lucy's bedtime routine and do like a bit of a sticker chart for her. And it literally just could be construction paper of like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Awesome. You get a sticker. And if she gets five stickers, like maybe she gets a you know, a donut or something Friday on the way home from daycare, you guys could um, kind of develop what the reward is that's meaningful for her. And again, it just is building in a reward system. So she's learning like, oh, when I do these
0: things, I'm getting good stuff Mm -hmm. too. And have you ever tried or had success with or no success with like, those kind of charts but with the routine so it's like all right little toothbrushing symbol little whatever and then have them like co-create those with you because i've heard of these things we've thought about implementing them but we never have so i want your take on it
1: yeah i mean visual supports visual aids we call them are super helpful for little ones and they're helpful for adults too Mm -hmm. right like we all use visual cues throughout our day to keep us on track and so for a kiddo that's looking to have some control in their like day-to-day life especially when we look at going back to school when most of their day is controlled by the environment and the teacher and all of those things when they come home they're going to try to exhibit control over everything right and it's very normal and it's really great to see but it's also super frustrating and so Oh, 100%, like visual, like a schedule like that would be super helpful. Um, And you don't have to like go buy one, you could make one like, you know, just even on construction paper for listeners that are like, I don't have access to a printer, like how do I do this or a laminator, Um, construction paper, you know, get some stickers and or like, if you're a good drawer, draw out what exactly the routine is. And then yeah, checkmark system. Um, We actually implemented one for my son for in the morning. Because oh. we were struggling with like kind of getting out on, in like routine um, and getting out the door on time um, with summer camps because he was like a bit resistant to go to,
0: and um, well, yeah, we... we have we have a we have we have a visitor. Have a visitor. Here. What's that? Chelsea, right here. Would you, would, would you like to say hello to Chelsea? Hi, Chelsea? Well, you gotta come here. You gotta you gotta show your face. Uh-huh. Hi, Betty. Say hi, Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. Are you supposed to be sleeping right now, sweetie? She said, are you supposed to be sleeping? <gasps> are you supposed to be sleeping, Betty? Yeah, she's nodding. Yeah. Okay, yeah. honey, you can go in Mommy's room downstairs, okay? Yeah. But you can't go here. No,
1: it's not there.
0: Well, then you have to turn this way down. Here you go okay can you go see okay. i'll go in your room okay go in my room I'll go in chelsea room. i'm Bye gonna Betty. go put her on my bed because my bed's high hold on one sec yeah no worries yeah okay Ooh. see working mom for and this is such a hard part for me it's like i work after the kids go to sleep but if they don't go to sleep we'll it makes it impossible to work anyway definitely <sighs> definitely yeah <laughs>
1: It's hard. It's hard to find the balance. And sometimes it's hard to kind of take that first step for sleep change. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, tonight is difficult for you because Shane's not there. Right. Mm -hmm. If he was there, you would have been able to just be like, you know, phone's all done, Betty. It's it's really time for bed. Right. 100%. but you can't. And these are those times that it's just like, okay, you know, the boundary lost and it is what it is. But when the timing is right, we get back on, on the kind of the train and we, um, implement the boundaries and go from there. So,
0: so when my kids were in their cribs, right, I'd leave them in their room. I'd say, okay, good night. And I'd leave the room and they would maybe fuss for a couple minutes and then they'd put themselves to sleep every night it was beautiful. But now that they're both in beds, it's instead of fussing, they leave, they leave, they leave. And there's no just kind of crying to themselves and them falling asleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really tricky because like, I don't know how to put my foot down. So like, just say we do the bedtime baskets and all of that. Right. But then when bedtime comes, if they don't fall asleep right away, they're coming downstairs. How do you implement that boundary without just being the world's biggest meanie, which I don't mind being a meanie. Okay. Mm-hmm. I do not mind, but like it's, it's hard. It is hard for sure. So when we
1: look at kind of that persistent bedtime like escape out of room we'll call it. We want to look at why are they escaping out of their room, right? And so <clears throat> was bedtime rushed that night and they feel rushed and they didn't mm-hmm. get enough connection time and now they're like I need extra hugs. So we address all of that first. But when we can check all those boxes, it's like okay, they're coming down. You are going to take them by the hand, walk them back up to their room and in a very neutral tone, which is difficult to do sometimes because mm-hmm. we get frustrated, right? But it's just, you would have a specific sleep phrase, like, good night, I love you, and back into their room they go, and that's it. Like, there's no kind of negotiation of what else is happening. Um, You know that they have had a full dinner, they've had a bedtime snack, they have a water bottle in their room, and it would just be, like, persistent of bringing them back, walking them back saying the goodnight phrase, and then leaving the room. Um, And once you have kind of that established and the first night that you really implement that is going to be the hardest because they're going to be like, what the hell? (laughs) You never used to do this. And so if a listener was like, uh, my kid's going to scream their head off. Yeah, they are likely going to scream their head off and and be upset about it because you're making change to how things were, right? You are mm-hmm. no longer reinforcing their previous behavior. And so you're still, you know, being connected to them and walking them back to their room. Um, but you ultimately have to be the one that's like consistent on that. I like to tell families that I work with, like you are the calm, confident leader in this situation. Your child is, you know, they have very little impulse control at this age and their brains are like rapidly developing and they need us to help them guide them through this and so that means that we have to be the ones that are like if it takes 10 or 15 times to go back to their room and same thing if it was to happen in the night, right? If they mm-hmm. wake up or they wake, we be consistent and we walk them back. And it's easier said than done. And this is why it's like very challenging sometimes to make sleep changes. Um, and sometimes why families look for extra support because it's like, okay, is this normal? Is this normal to be doing this for thirty or forty five minutes? And it is, especially at the beginning of a change like that.
0: How long? How long do your kids take to go to bed?
1: You really want me to tell you? Yes. <laughs> I want to know. Yeah. Um so the baby who is 15 months old mm-hmm. um tonight they both had bath together at 6 and she was asleep by 6:20. Mm-hmm. And then the five-year-old, he st- he did stay up a bit later last night. He was at the cottage with Sean and went to bed much later. So he was very tired. Um, uh, we read a few stories and cuddled. And tomorrow's his first day of school. So we talked about that and, you know, some big feelings he's having. And then I closed his door at 6.40. And I haven't heard or seen them.
0: Jeez Louise. <laughs> Chelsea. Okay, so... Listeners, and I know she's not bullshitting me. She's an honest person. She's a friend. She wouldn't do that. This is a reason. Like, this is why I want you on. And like you are a calming person. I will say that. You like there's something about you that like is very calming. And I, I think that I don't have that quality necessarily. But I need to develop it. And I'm going to develop it, especially at bedtime. And I wanna do I think this. I
1: totally I totally have flown off the handle and been like <laughs> <laughs> very stressed about bedtimes before and like yeah my son went to bed easily tonight and majority of the time that's the case but there was a few times last week that like it was a struggle he was mm-hmm. coming down he had built like a lego creation and he wanted to show it to me <laughs> and and then he was like i need an extra hug and i said okay i'm going to give you one hug and you know brought him back upstairs and i said i'll see you in the morning and you can show me all of your legos as soon as you wake up, it will mm-hmm. be the first thing that we talk about. And that was enough for him. But he has a very solid sleep foundation, right? He's going to mm-hmm. be five in November. Um, And this is like
0: years of practice for him. So, you know, it's not always this easy. But no, that's um, awesome though. See, I like that he can just take your verbal affirmation as, as- – you know, gospel, because what Lucy will do, she will say, no, you have to write it in your phone or write it on a piece of paper. And then she sits there and watches me write the thing that she wants to talk about in the morning. Like this happens frequently. And then she'll say, where do you go first in the morning? And I say the bathroom. And she goes, tape it to the bathroom mirror. And she just stares at me like, (laughs) and then I'll go, okay. That's an amazing strategy though. Chelsea, it's insane. (laughs) And then it's like high level thinking, but very annoying when you're trying to get the kid to bed. And then she will come down and check to see if it's on the bathroom mirror or not. And she will come and talk to Shane and I if it's not written on the bathroom mirror or wherever she wants it. Like high level, whatever. But I want to end with, if you can kind of condense your healthy bedtime routine into like a couple points or a few points, how would that look? Or like the most important takeaways from in your perspective?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So it would be kind of age appropriate bedtime, right? We don't want to expect a like six-year-old to go to bed at five Mm -hmm. o'clock. And that would be one thing, you know, some families are like, Oh, I want to start my evening way early. It's like, your kid is not going to sleep at that time. <laughs> You're setting yourself up for failure. So there's one. Um, two, solid, just like, what is sustainable for a family? And this is different for everyone, right? And so for a family that's like, we can't do bath every night, then that's okay. You know, you don't do it every night. Um, and if it's like, we have to only do two books because our kiddos will be like, nope, I want 10, right? Mm-hmm. But over the course of a few days, Days and maybe even longer, but a few days of just two books, there, your kiddo will learn like, okay, this is my new expectation. Um, so th- that's two things right there: is age-appropriate bedtime that works for your family and a sustainable approach to bedtime routine. Um, and if falling asleep with your kiddos is what works and it makes them go to sleep faster, then that's okay, right? A lot of people think like sleep training and sleep support is this um, – kind of like we poo-poo on like people that do that. But it's like, if that works for you, yeah. then I'm I'm happy for you because that is working for your family. And that means that you have more sleep sleep and you have more time for yourself. Um and that's a win. So those things I think are really important when we look at kind of preschool and, you know, those early school age kiddos of um, how to get sleep back on track and know that those feelings from them are very valid, right? And Mm -hmm. so connect with your child through bedtime routine, connect with them um, leading into bedtime routine, and um, stay consistent in whatever approach you're using.
0: Chelsea, you are... Truly a gem. You are so knowledgeable, and I appreciate you sharing that with us today. Seriously, especially me, who's – I'm glad Betty came down, okay? I'm glad it <laughs> illustrates too. how bad we needed this. But, Chelsea, yes. where can people go to follow you and to get more tips?
1: Awesome. So And in- hire you. <laughs> Instagram is at Little Space and my website, which has guides and blogs and booking system and all about me more is littlesleepspace.ca.
0: Phenomenal. Chelsea, thank you so, so much. Okay, folks, there you have it. I hope you picked a little something up. I know I did. And I really look forward to trying to implement these things because Lord knows I need help and Lord knows I need help with Shane not here right now. But folks, let's get into it. Let's get into the mailbag segment. This is my favorite part of the podcast where you write in questions, you give them to me on Instagram, hit me with topics, and we broach them here. So the first one that we're going to hit today, can you talk about that shot you made? Ingredients, what it helps with, why you're doing it, etc. So this person is talking about the drink that Shane and I are having every morning. We've been doing it for, I think, two weeks now. It's a health shot, a health elixir. We like to call it our elixir. I think versions of it have been popular for a long time, like with the Master Cleanse and different, you know, celebrity fad diets and whatever. But essentially, it's a half cup of warm water, one tablespoon of fresh lemon juice, one tablespoon of organic raw apple cider vinegar, a half, sorry, a quarter teaspoon of turmeric, and a quarter teaspoon of. Um, I was going to say cilantro, not cilantro, frickin', uh cayenne pepper. <laughs> so a quarter teaspoon of cayenne pepper, uh, a little sprinkle of pepper on the top, and then one teaspoon of organic maple syrup, you know, to make it all go down a little sweeter. So it's like the first one is really bad. All right. So you want to like mix it all up and just throw it back as quick as you can. The first one is really bad. It is spicy. It is a little bit hard to drink. It's a little bit burny. However, after that, once you know what to expect, I look forward to it now. By day three, I was looking forward to it. I was, yeah, I knew what to expect. and knew what to anticipate. Um, and I just, I really enjoy it now. So I think it's supposed to help with like a myriad of things in your life, in your body. What I'm really hoping it helps with is um, inflammation. So as a lupus patient, I get a ton of inflammation in my body. And the turmeric right off the hop in the day and the apple cider vinegar, I know, they are ideally going to help with that inflammation. Look up, you know, a lot of the reasons why people do it. Uh, I think some people do it for weight loss primarily because I think the cayenne pepper is supposed to help stave off hunger a little bit. A lot of different things. I think it's like detoxing your liver, helping your gut, all this stuff. And if you do, like if you look up apple cider vinegar, some people really overdo it because apple cider vinegar, just because it's a healthy thing, there is a limit to how it can be healthy because it can be pretty damaging. It can be kind of dangerous. You definitely don't want to go over two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar a day. And you definitely want to dilute it. So this is only one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar. It is very much diluted. You're very safe with this. Although like if you do have health concerns, I would talk to uh, your doctor obviously before doing it and not just taking my advice but we're loving it we really love it even if it's placebo we like drink it and we feel good and I feel glowy and I don't know what the effects are well I I will say that I didn't take it for four days because we were at the cottage and my joints started to get really sore I have rheumatoid, uh, rheumatoid arthritis but now it's been three days back three days taking it and my arthritis hasn't bothered me at all so i'm really stoked about that and i hope that that just continues to get better but the next question where do you shop for clothes what brands you buy your fashion etc i'm not a fashion girly i am rarely asked these things <laughs> because of that all of my like clothes recently honest to god they've they're they just come from evernew which is a gorgeous clothing company everything has been so high quality I really love it, especially for work clothes and event clothes. It, it's beautiful. Aside from that, I will grab things from the local value village, from Salvation Army, from H&M, from Zara, from Dennis Rodman's merch site. Like, I, I don't really have anything I'm loyal to. I love Aritzia. I will say that after having kids, I was like, all right, I need to just change all of my jeans. I need new denim. My body's different. I need to get denim that you know accompanies that or makes room for that. Makes room for the stuff that I got to make room for. So I started getting these jeans from Aritzia. They're for, they're called denim forum. I don't know where else they're sold. I know for sure they're sold at Aritzia. They are marvelous. I love them. I love the fit, and I love that they're like actual denim. There's not that much stretch in them. Maybe they have certain kinds that have stretch, but generally these jeans do not have much stretch at all or any. And I just, I love that look. And I love the feel of them. They're amazing quality. Uh, I've been wearing them. I think I have four pairs of jeans from them. And I just cycle through those four pairs for the last, for, I don't know, since I had Lucy for the, for the last five years. And they're just, they're all holding up. They're all doing well. So I like really love denim from I really love Evernue. And then I mean, Everything else, I am have very little brand loyalty and I'll go anywhere. I shop for what I like and what I have fun with and what I look good in. Um, one brand that I'm always looking up online and Shane gets me stuff from them um, for Christmas and stuff. Actually, okay, here's a few now that I'm actually thinking about it. Okay, so Good American, which is Khloe Kardashian's company and Skims, Kim Kardashian's company. I, I gotta say like credit where credit is due, folks. Their clothing companies are phenomenal, phenomenal. Their clothes are super well-made. They make them, especially a good American for so many body types, really worth a look. And if you want to get something that's well-made, this stuff isn't cheap, but it is, it's honest to God, it's worth your money. And I wouldn't be sending you to the Kardashians with all of the money they already have if I didn't think it was worth it. But I, honest to God, I do. And I really like never fully dressed so i've gotten a few things from them everything has been so fun and so gorgeous i like them because they celebrate color and wacky patterns and things like that go check it out and like ever it's another australian company these australians are killing it absolutely with clothing it's amazing uh the next question i want to get to thoughts on the japanese man that went 20 years without talking to his wife search the article and then as part two to that What's the longest you've gone without speaking to someone in an argument? Okay, I didn't hear about this article. I didn't know anything about this. I searched it, and I am blown away, flabbergasted. Okay, so there was a man, Otu Katayama, and his wife, Yumi Katayama. So they lived in Japan, and he has gone 20 years without saying anything to his wife. 20 years. You heard that right. Like, what the f-bomb, right? So you must think, what the hell did she do to do this? He, and this is a quote from him, he says, I was kind of jealous. I was sulking, I guess. And what was he jealous of? He was jealous of the attention she gave to their three children because they had kids. He went 20 years married to a wife, married to a woman living with her under the same roof with three kids without speaking to her. So she would try to talk to him and he would simply either like, you know, use hand gestures or head gestures or grunt. That is how he communicated with her for 20 fucking years. And I'm sorry, I had to swear. It, it It's infuriating. So the article I read kind of painted it in like this kind of quirky light. It is not quirky. That is, honestly, that's abusive. Can you imagine being in that household, in that relationship, and you have kids there? Like, I think of all of the things that I talked to Shane about in the day to get him to, you know, either help with or to get his opinion on, to ask him a question, whatever. And let's, you know, let's just think about parenting for a second. Not even all the other stuff, only parenting, There are so many conversations. If you want to be good co-parents, there are so many conversations you're going to need to have like every day with your partner. Every day. Like my friends, my family members that are divorced have conversations with their partners that some of them hate just because they want to co-parent effectively. So the fact that he also put his kids through this suffering, like he isolated himself from four other memory, family members in his house. That is like abusive to your kids. It's abusive to your wife. It is ridiculous. I've never heard of such a sad thing that could have been easily avoided. Like it's, it's funny too. It's, it's funny, but it's so damn sad and awful at the same time. So what ended up happening with this situation is that the kids who are now, like, uh, in their late teens and early 20s, so they're all basically, you know, young adults, they wanted to intervene. So they had, like, a local television station kind of produce a meetup to force them to talk again. So then the television station, they, like, created this circumstance so that they would meet at the same park bench they had their first date at, like, decades ago, and then they were filming it and the kids are like watching on a camera, you know, a different place in the park. And then they actually started having a conversation again. Uh, and, you know, it ended up with him like apologizing and saying he wanted to be a proper husband going forward. But it's like all the parenting is done, buddy. Uh, and then the wife saying, yeah, I, that's great. I'm glad we can do this. You know, there's obviously all of us are thinking, why the hell is she still there? But Whatever to each their own. We don't know everything going on in that household, that relationship. Um, And I guess, you know, the kids got really emotional. It was the first time they saw their parents speak to each other and have a two way conversation in their entire lives. And it's like, I was thinking about that. All of the things that your kids do, whether it's something frustrating, whether it's something they need to be disciplined for, whether it's something exciting, something beautiful, something sweet, a birthday, Christmas, you know, a child being born. This guy cannot get over himself and is not talking to his wife. Like I'm I'm shaky right now, guys. My coffee is shaking in my hands. I want to go on a plane, go to Nara, Japan. I think that's where he's from, and like shake him. Grab his shoulders and shake him. Cuz this is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. So, the second part of the question was asking how long I've ever gone without speaking in an argument. So, Shane and I don't do the no speaking thing to each other even if I freeze up in arguments I want to be like right there looking at them (laughs) Just so that we can get through it in a way I'm not one to like just ignore and not speak to somebody. I can't do that The one time that it happened it happened for like three days It was myself and my best friend in high school over a dude obviously. We both liked him. She made it known first, but I still really liked him. And then I ended up kissing him. I gave him a hickey. It was ugly. She was so upset. Like she was so upset. I felt so bad. But at the same time, I was like, oh, but I really like him too. It was the worst situation. Anyway, we didn't talk for like three days, which was so... So crazy because you know we we're teenagers. We'd be texting and talking and MSNing every second of every day that we weren't together, and so that felt like an eternity. And then after three days, it was like before a basketball game. We were just kind of sitting there, and uh, we just kind of started getting pumped up for the game together. Then we went and played, and then it was over. And we were like, "That was stupid. That guy is stupid." we're better than that. And we've, I, I don't think I've ever had a disagreement with her, like serious disagreement with her since. Um, And that's the only time I've ever ignored somebody. But for me, I just, I can't do it. I'm too needy. I need that love. I need things resolved. Um, so yeah, I honestly couldn't imagine it. But yeah, this guy needs somebody to give him a shoulder shake since I can't do it. But the next question I want to get to, my daughter made a wish for her B-Day that mummy had another baby. We're trying for another, but have had a lot of struggles. My daughter said to me recently that she's worried her wish won't come true. And she's asking me if wishes don't come true. How do you approach these conversations with your kids? I don't want to crush her feelings and still want her to make wishes for birthdays and Christmas. This is so sad and this is so hard. But I wonder if there's a way that you can have a conversation with her. I don't know how old she is. And you can bring biology into it, bring science into it, bring the struggles that you're going to, that you're going through into this conversation. Like if she doesn't know about the struggles, maybe just level with her and say, you know what, things like this are sometimes beyond wishes and beyond prayers. And we can still wish, we can still pray because maybe it'll, it'll help us. Maybe it won't help us all the way, but it'll help us a little bit. And you can, Maybe try talking to your kid, you know, in an age-appropriate conversation, like, you know, in regards to what they'll understand and tell them what's really going on. And then maybe they won't blame it on wishes not working and, and magic not being in life and miracles not happening. You know what I mean? And I think that might be a good way to show that there's magic in life without like crushing her hopes entirely, That's how I think I would go about it. If she does know about your struggles, then, yeah, I think I would just reiterate that, you know, wishes help, but they don't do everything we have to, and our circumstances also have to be in our favor, right? Because that's, I mean, that's true. It's like... All the law of attraction BS that's out there, it's all like you can want these things, you can try to manifest these things, but if you aren't doing the work yourself or if your circumstances around you aren't, you know, perfect, then none of these things are actually going to come to fruition. So I might try to talk to her like that, but right back to us. If that's not the case, like if she knows about all that stuff, let us know. We'll hit it up next week. The next question. How do you do naps when you're at the cottage? I car nap. When we're at the cottage, we do not do naps. And we're pretty much getting rid of Betty's nap altogether because at this point in our lives, it's just honestly easier to do a quiet time where the kids do a low energy activity. Shane and I do whatever we want to do on quiet time. And the whole family just kind of takes a breather. But yeah, naps don't really happen unless they happen in the car by accident. And the final question, which isn't a question at all, <laughs> but we're going to end with this tonight, is from Mike Gallant. He is a writer in a frequent writer in and friend of the podcast. He says, hi, I have a big surprise for you guys, and I hope we're still best friends. Well, Mike, we're as close as best friends as people could be when they do not live anywhere near each other and when they speak as infrequently as we do. And uh, I'm really excited so can't wait to hear your surprise but folks thank you so much for sticking around for this solo episode hearing me rant about healthcare, about shane's blissful hernia surgery um and give us a rating give us a comment if you can on you know, any reviews wherever you get your podcast if there's a review thing we would love to hear from from you via review but folks thank you so much for listening to this family Tree podcast episode 181